I uh, want you to turn to Isaiah 9, 6. Ironically, this is a scripture that the pastor also taught on, or taught from. I guess teaching on and from is the same thing. Uh, back in Wednesday's service. And there's one that we sort of used as a springboard last week in dealing with prophecies concerning the coming of Christ. Now, this is uh, Easter. Easter, excuse me. This is Christmas. And uh, we're into the, we are sort of headed for the Christmas uh, story. And uh, Jesus coming to this world as our Savior, Lord. And what we're dealing with now, right now, is the prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament concerning his coming. And then we talked a little bit some last week, and I want to go further into it here today, that uh, the prophecies concerning Jesus Christ is coming as being God Almighty. And if you'll turn to uh, Isaiah 9, 6, this was our springboard scripture. I call it that. That's just homemade lingo. Our springboard scripture here for the scriptures that we're going to be looking at this morning. And it says, for unto us a child is born. This is Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. And the part that I have emphasized here, and the one that I'll continue to do so here this morning, is that he is the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. And then it finally says the Prince of Peace, which we all know that this is the term that's used to describe Jesus Christ. So Jesus was the Prince of Peace as the man Christ Jesus, but this scripture lets us know that when Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, that would come, the word Christ is the New Testament, or the, is the Greek word for the Messiah, which is Hebrew, uh, that whenever the Messiah or Christ would come, that he would be God Almighty and he would be the Everlasting Father. Now, the reason that I'm interested in talking about it today and taking it a little bit further uh, is because the, it developed later on in history after the early church had established uh, the truth and had established churches all over the then known world, the Roman Empire and so forth, there began to creep into Christianity those who began to adopt Greek philosophies they would study these Greek philosophers and then sometimes they would get saved or sometimes they were already saved and they would study it on the side. And they would try to incorporate uh, Greek philosophy into Christianity because they felt like that the Greeks had something good to give. And uh, there was even one of those church leaders that said that he believed that the Greek philosophers were as anointed of God as the prophets of the Old Testament were. This seems almost uh, preposterous to think that these men who were Christian leaders later on uh, began to adopt and receive and to uh, have ideas like this. And one of the reasons that they did was because that the Jewish influence had totally subsided. I have a, a book that's called the, uh, it's the History of the Nicene Council. I'll mention that to you in just a moment. Then I'm going to get into some scripture here. But the, uh, the Nicene Council developed in 325 A.D. That's when the council was held. And it was whenever Constantine, the emperor of Rome, who had become a Christian, who had accepted Christianity, 
and he became emperor, then he converted all of the Roman Empire into being Christian worshipers rather than pagan worshipers. Well, that sounds like a good idea. Sounds like a good thing. What persecution could not do to the church, compromise and, and a friendship with the world was able to water down what real, true Christianity really was. And so at the Nicene Council, Constantine being emperor, he called all the Christian leaders and all of there was 108, 318 of them all together, called them all together. And he said, I want you to work out one doctrine that fits everybody. And so they began to hash it all out. And this went on for months and months. And they talked about it, discussed it, and so forth. And uh, this was uh, a time whenever they tried to identify who Jesus was. And when they finally got to the bottom line, they tried to come up with, a, with a, uh, some kind of a, a code, some kind of a statement that would identify them as Christians. And uh, it was called a creed. And uh, so they developed a creed. They finally found a guy by the name of uh, Astasius who had a pretty good creed. And it was something like this. We believe in three separate distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Separate and distinct, and never was there a time that one was before the other, never shall there be a time that one shall be after the other. And so they paid the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost to be separate, distinct persons in the Godhead. And that, that they were separate and distinct, but they made up the one God. And the reason that they had such liberty to do that is because the Jewish influence and that Old Testament, I'm going to give you some scriptures here in a moment, had waned because Jerusalem fell in 70 A.D. to the Roman government, to the Roman powers. That was over a million Jews that were killed. It was about 1,100,000 Jews that were actually literally killed in Jerusalem in 70 A.D. And the city was destroyed and the temple was, as you know, was burned down. Titus, you know, the emperor came. All of this was prophesied in Daniel, in the, in, the, in, the 29th, in the ninth chapter of Daniel, that it would happen. Jesus warned them that it would happen. And uh, because of their rejection of Christ, Jesus at, at coming as the Christ. So when, uh, when the Jewish influence waned, and there were Christian Jews, there were Jewish, there were Christians, they fled from Jerusalem because the Lord said, when you see these things going to pass, didn't leave, and they did. And there's no Jews, that Christian Jews, that died in Jerusalem when that happened. And uh, they, they went to a little town, a little town was a, a city called Pella that was uh, over what we would call today in sort of central Georgia, uh, I mean Jordan, excuse me, central Jordan, which was up near the, Dead, the Sea of Galilee on the east side. But anyhow, they went up there, lived, and they got away from all of that onslaught. And so, so anyhow, when they did all of this, the Jewish influence just simply waned. Uh, it, it died. They took Jews to the, down to Egypt. They sold them as slaves. They were sold, sold into different countries. And this rocked along from 70 A.D. until 135 A.D. There was a new guy that rose up. He said, I'm, I'm the Christ. I'm the Messiah. And his name was Kachba, which is sort of a nickname. Uh, and uh, they called him Kachba. And Kachba began to rally all these people. And that was a, a rabbi that got behind him and everything and so forth. And he rallied all of these Jews together. And the emperor of Rome at that time was a guy by the name of Hadrian, sometimes pronounced, sometimes spelled and pronounced Adrian without the H. Hadrian is the one that's most common. Hadrian uh, was the emperor, and he decided to go there and finish this thing up that was never finished, totally finished up, but Titus apparently. 
and he went in there and he again attacked Jerusalem and all the Jews and actually killed over a half a million of them. 600,000 Jews died again in that onslaught and they were sent into slavery, sold into slavery. So from 135 AD on, the Jewish influence had completely gone. And whenever the Nicene Council was held, they did not look into the Old Testament. The Old Testament was like, didn't mean anything to these, uh, this, I, let me just call them renegade Christians who had gotten together and tried to come up with some kind of belief that they could all believe in and they came up with what we call today as the Trinity Doctrine, the Athanasian Creed. The Greek Orthodox Church today still says we are the people of the creed. They don't say the people of the word or the people of the Bible. They say we're the people of the creed. They pronounce it, they identify themselves to be that, you know. As you know, with Rome, uh, the, that is the Western side, uh, they developed the idea that there was one head overall, and that would be whoever was the, uh, the bishop of Rome, excuse me, <coughs> which we now to know today to be the Pope. Now, the reason I'm telling you all of this is so that you understand here that they developed a, a pagan type of, of religion. They, they adopted pagan ideas. They, they brought in, the, uh, and I'll bring out to you in a moment here about the Virgin Mary, but uh, they brought in ideas here that was totally not scriptural at all. And uh, the word Trinity, for instance, does not even appear in the Bible. No place does it even insinuate anything. But the Trinity Doctrine says there are three separate and distinct persons in the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent. Well, the very, the very statement that there's a father and a son, a father's always before a son. If they're co-equal, co-existent, never was there a time that one was not before the other, never shall there be a time that one shall not be after the other, why would you have a father or son? They would be like, you know, brothers, right? They wouldn't be like that. And so anyhow, even the statement itself. So I'm just pointing out to you here that there were many things like this. And what I'm gonna show you here today, and I'm gonna give you some handouts, is uh, a little brochure to show you how powerful the Old Testament was in declaring God to be one to the Jews. And if there had been an influence of Christian Jews along the way more powerfully, this Nicene Council may not have developed uh, I have a book on the Nicene Council and there's a statement that's made in, uh, toward the end of it where it says that in developing their attitude and their, uh, their creed for the Christian church after that so forth, in developing that, they did not consider the Old Testament scriptures. So what I'm gonna do here is to give you something here to look at a little bit because what we've just read here in Isaiah 9, 6, it says here, uh, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counsel, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. This identifies Jesus Christ as the Mighty God and also as the Heavenly Father. Mighty God in that he created all things. Heavenly Father in that he is the begetter or the giver of life to everything that, that exists has got life, and uh, including all, human, all the human race. And so the, this is just one scripture. What I want to do is talk to you a little bit further about this and show you scripture that had that early church, if they could have had the influence of that Old Testament, they may have said, no, 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 we better not go this way because this definitely is going to be the wrong way. You understand what I'm saying? 
So I want to pass out some handouts to you. And this is simply called God's, God declared himself to be one throughout the Old Testament. So brethren, if you will, uh, this is what the handout is going to look like. I'm going to see if I can get this machine up and running here. Uh, let me see here. If, if I can't, brother, somebody give me a little help here on this. We've got a lot of buttons here. Where, which is the on button again? It's already on. Let me just oh, is it? Oh, okay. All right. We need to zoom in, don't we? Automatic focus. And let's get a little closer, maybe. Can everybody see that? If you can't, you've got one in your hand. <laughs> That's why I pass them out for you. And uh, I know I could zoom it in and, and, and take like paragraph at a time and move it up and so forth. Maybe I will. That's the way it'll look, but uh, we'll start at the very top there. I guess that's about as close as we can get there. God declared himself to be one God throughout the Old Testament. And uh, I want you to, when you all get one of these, I want you to just hold on to this. This is yours to keep. But uh, I want you to uh, look very closely here in some of these scriptures that I'm going to pass along to you here. Now, this is Old Testament scriptures I'm giving you right now. These are Old Testament scriptures. This is how powerful the Old Testament was in declaring God to be one. And uh, there would have never been any kind of Trinitarian doctrine if the Jewish influence, the Christian Jewish influence I'm speaking of here, uh, had been available at that time when that Nicene Council came to that decision that uh, God was uh, three persons, three separate distinct persons. So I want you to look at this scripture. I'm going to have you go to Isaiah, uh, I, uh, Isaiah 44 and 24. God was one in creation. So go to Isaiah 44, and, uh, and I'm just going to read a couple of verses here to you. Look at Isaiah 44, 24. Isaiah 44, 24. And uh, I think maybe we'll have it over here. So this is the scripture. This is, and, and what we're looking at is these verses, this verse right here. Isaiah 44, 24. It simply says this. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer. Let me pull my chair up a little closer. Thus saith the Lord, my Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone. Notice the word alone. If you got your Bibles, underline the word alone. That spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. In other words, I did everything myself. There's nobody with me. And uh, if you look down in verse, over in verse 18, Verse 18 there. Uh, For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it, he created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. This sort of shows us uh, God here in creation, how that he created all things and uh, that God <clears throat> made the earth all by himself. Praise God. Uh, I'm going to move on a little further here. There's another verse of scripture I want you to see in Isaiah. Go to Isaiah 45, 18. This is the uh, 45, 18, the very next chapter. For thus saith the Lord, I think I just read that one. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it, he created it, 
not in vain he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. So we just read that verse. Now what I want to do here too is show you that he was one to the nation of Israel. He was one in creation. But the Lord stated to Israel without a shadow of a doubt that he was only one. Everybody still with me? Now I'm talking about this because if you ever get the understanding that God is one, nobody's going to ever confuse you about anything that comes up that God is a plurality of any kind. And he is not a plurality. I want you to go with me over to Deuteronomy. And I want you to look with me in Deuteronomy 6.4. Deuteronomy 6.4. And uh, this is this verse right here. Everybody with me? And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now, I'm not going to read all these other scriptures here, but it goes on to say, I want you to teach this to your children. I want you to ride on the doorpost of your house. I want you to put it on uh, phylacteries and put it on a leather band, put it around your wrist. Just don't ever forget it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And then to go along with that, I'm backing up here to uh, Deuteronomy uh, verses 4. I think that's... Uh, Verse 4, chapter 4 and verse 35 and 39. That's the one right under it there. And it says in verse 35, Unto thee it was showed that thou mightest know that the Lord, he is God, there is none else beside him. Now this is the Lord telling Israel this. Now I'm going to get, this is going to get a little boring because I'm going to show you here how much it's mentioned in the scriptures and I'm not even reading all of them. I'm just reading a few because the Bible says mouth of two or three witnesses let every word be established. And uh, this is why I try to show scripture to support what we're talking about. Look at verse 39 here. Know therefore this day and consider it in thine heart that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and upon the earth beneath. There is none else. So when God declared himself to be one in the Old Testament, he kept saying, hey, there is nobody else. There is none beside me. There's none on my right hand, none on my left hand. There's none beside me. I did it all. I created heaven and the earth. I did everything. I'm, I'm the one. And then I'm going to go back to Isaiah a minute because in the book of Isaiah, uh, the Lord really gave Isaiah some powerful scriptures here. This truth that was there, uh, that there is only one God was reaffirmed to Israel by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah spends a lot of time really talking about how that God is one and there is none beside him. So I want you to look at Isaiah 43.10. And I'm going uh, back to Isaiah. I read a verse of scripture to you a while ago in Isaiah. And uh, I want you to look with me in 43. Uh, let me find it here. <clears throat> 10. Look at 43.10. You are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant <clears throat> whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he before me. There was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Now, if Jesus Christ is our Savior, and Jehovah the Old Testament is saying, I am Savior, then Jehovah and Jesus have got to be the same person. You understand what I'm saying? There is no two separate distinct persons here. That's, that's just one little thought on all of it. <clears throat> look, at, uh, look at verse 14. Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, and so forth. This is, and of course, we all know Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. 
uh, if you'll go to 44, 6 for a moment. And he says here in 6, I think I'm following our scriptures here, 44, 6, 8 and 24 there. Excuse me. <coughs> Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, his being referring to Israel, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and Israel's Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. This is what Jesus said when he appeared to John in the book of Revelation in the first chapter. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. I am the first and the last. Praise the Lord. So what I'm trying to show you here is that Jesus and God is all the same. It's not separate, distinct persons. It is manifestation. God, who is one, simply manifested himself or made himself known to humanity in a different way. And of course, he did that as Savior in the form of Jesus Christ. And I'll give you a little uh, more understanding of that in a few moments here. Uh, since we are here in this 44th chapter of Isaiah, look at, chapter, at verse 8, 44, 8. Fear you not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from the time and have declared it. <clears throat> Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. Okay. There's no God beside the Lord. And then uh, I'm reading over here in 45. And I'm reading verses 5 and 6. I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee through that though thou hast not known me that they may know from the rising of the sun from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. I mean, this is stated so much and the reason I'm putting emphasis on it is because I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that in that Old Testament, God declared himself to be one God. Praise the Lord. I'm gonna get to the New Testament in just a moment. Then he says in verse 21, tell ye and bring them near, yea, let them take counsel Together, who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. I'm reading here in the 21st verse now of chapter 45 of Isaiah. Verse 22 says, Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. And then verse 23, I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Well, isn't that interesting? The Lord said every unto me, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Well, that's what he says in the Old Testament. This is Jehovah talking, right? This is Jehovah talking in the Old Testament. Well, I turn over here to Philippians. I don't think that's in your notes there, but I'm going to just read it to you. This is in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, 2, 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and, every, and, and, and of, of things in heaven and things in earth and things which are under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Praise God. So what we're looking at here is a declaration here of Jesus Christ being God Almighty and that God Almighty of the Old Testament is indeed Jesus Christ. Praise God. Now, I'm going to go a little bit, one more scripture here, and then I'm going to finish up here in Isaiah. And this is Isaiah 46, very next chapter, verse 9. I'm going to finish up with this. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Okay, 
So I'm not going to go any further with that, only to let you know that the Old Testament is full. This is just Isaiah and a couple of scriptures in Deuteronomy, but it was so emphatic. Israel, there's only one God. So that when Jesus came, and they knew that the Messiah would be Jesus, because his name shall be Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And we read that scripture in chapter 7 of Isaiah. And uh, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. His name should be called Emmanuel, uh, which was, is like a title. Uh, his name should be called Emmanuel, which means God with us, identifying again that Jesus Christ, or the Messiah, when he would come, would be, of course, uh, God Almighty. So whenever you and I understand that Jesus is God, folks, we have got it all. We've got it all. Now, uh, the conclusion that we have here, and I'm going to read the conclusion. This is the conclusion here that, that I'm going to just wrap it all up with this. If there had been more than one person in the Godhead, God certainly would not have led, lied to Israel throughout the Old Testament by telling them, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You understand? In other words, why would God lie to them? And then say, oh, guess what? There was actually, there was three of us. We never told you. We just kept it a big secret and lied to you. Does God do that? God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so it goes on to say, my statement here, uh, he would not have lied to Israel throughout the Old Testament by telling them, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. I'm finished reading here when they go down here to therefore, on your notes and you've got those in your hand there. Uh, it says, therefore, we must conclude that God was never a trinity or any other form of polytheism. Polytheism means the belief in many gods, or more than one God. Poly is many, and theism, theism is God of God. Uh, in the Old Testament, and since God doesn't change, then neither is God a plurality or a trinity in the New Testament. Praise God. So what we're looking at here is some of these understandings here about what the scripture and how powerful the scripture is on this declaring unto us and describing to us that God is one. Now, I'm going to go into the New Testament, and what I'm going to do, I'm going to take a little bit of time here and explain to you the birth of Christ, how Jesus' birth came about. And uh, I want you, brother, to hand out these second handouts. You got those second handouts? This is what it will look like when you get that. It will look like this. This is what's being handed out to you now. I got that, I got it on the screen sort of maxed out, so. And uh, this is what you're being handed out to now. You, this is yours to keep. Praise God. Everybody say praise the Lord. Praise Aren't you glad for the truth? I mean, the truth is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And while you, this is being handed out, if you're turning your Bibles to the very first scripture, and this is the one I'm going to look, look at to start with, John 4.24. I'm, I'm not going to leave my pen down because I'll move my paper around, but it's this one right here, the very top left-hand corner. Uh, and it says, John 4, 24, if you'll turn in your Bible to that verse of scripture here, there. And what I'm doing here with this lesson today, 
is that I'm showing you here when Jesus came, he was a fulfillment of the Old Testament, but it was more than just the Son of God. I'm going to bring this out in here. Jesus was the Son of God. Everybody understand that? But he was more than just the Son of God. He was God manifest in flesh. You know, it's there, it's in Scripture. So I'm going to give you some verses of Scripture here that you can hang on to it. If you look at your chart, everybody's got one now, or you're pretty close to having one. If you look in that top left-hand corner, it says, God is a spirit. And what we've got is a little bit of a cloud. Uh, this, is, this is the spirit here. It represents the spirit. All this is representation. This is Mary. And uh, at one time, this was in color, and the color has come to be black and white. So uh, anyhow, this is Mary. This is, uh, this is the spirit of God that was... And we are looking at John 4, 24. And if you've got your Bibles there, we'll turn with a very simple verse of scripture. It simply says, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, I'm not putting emphasis on how we are to worship in that fashion, but I am putting emphasis on the first part of it. God is a spirit. God is a spirit. So what happened was that God as a spirit overshadowed Mary and she conceived and bore child of the Holy Ghost. Now look at Luke 135. This is the next scripture I want you to go to right here, Luke 135. Can you see that one? Just turn to that verse of scripture here. And uh, this is uh, the angel Gabriel who appeared to Mary. Now, whenever he, the, Gabriel appeared to Mary, he appeared to her in a physical, literal form. He was like, uh, all of a sudden there's a guy in her room or walked into her house or however it happened. And, and he was there. And so he announced this. And uh, he talked to her a little bit, starting in verse 30. And then finally in verse 35 is what he had to say. And the angel answered and said unto her, and she, she said, how can this be seeing I know no man? Look at verse 34. Let's read that verse. Then we'll read 35. Then said Mary unto the angel, how can this thing be seeing I know not a man? And he was saying to her that you're going to conceive and have a child and so forth. Verse 35, here's how it will happen. And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Okay, so Jesus Christ, praise the Lord, the man Christ Jesus, the babe in the manger that grew up and became a man, was the Son of God. And because the Bible declares it, and it declares it here, it declares it all through the Word. And he was born of Mary. Jesus was born of Mary. But he was overshadowed so that God Almighty was his father and that Mary was his mother. And we're talking about the man Christ Jesus, the man Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. So uh, the man Christ Jesus here is overshadowed and he became, uh, he became a, uh, Jesus was born. Uh, I want you to go to Matthew 118. Now, this is another, this is Matthew's uh, writing on it. And Matthew writes it from not Mary's experience with Gabriel, but with Joseph's experience. Because with Joseph, he's a spouse to Mary. He's going to marry her and suddenly she's pregnant. And he says, I, I can't marry this girl. and She's pregnant. It wasn't me, you know. You understand what I'm saying here? And, uh, and so the angel had to appear to him, but the angel appeared to him in a dream. And every time he appeared to Joseph, it was always in a dream. 
But to marry, it was literal, it was physical. Why God chose to do that, I, I don't know. Joseph had to have been a, a, a remarkable person, you know. Uh, so if you'll go to Matthew uh, 118 with me for a moment here. Now the birth of Jesus, 118 of Matthew, the very first chapter. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And before I go any further here, let me just say one thing. If God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost were three separate and distinct persons, then Jesus was the Son of the Holy Ghost, not the Son of the Father. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So I just just let you, I just leave that, let it mellow in your, your brain or heart or mind, however you want to say it. Anyhow, he would have been, you, you see how confusing that the Trinity, the whole Trinity concept is. Because if he had, if, the, if, if she had been overshadowed, if it said that she had overshadowed with God, you say, well, the, you know, he's called the Son of God, but he's overshadowed with the Holy Ghost. If the Holy Ghost and God are two separate, and yet the Bible says God is a spirit, not spirits. God is not multiple spirits. He is a spirit, one spirit. A means one, uh, refers to one. Now, let me finish reading here. Let me read on down. It says, uh, Mary was, it says now the birth of Jesus was on this wise when his mother Mary was a spouse of Joseph. Before they came together, she was found child of the Holy Ghost. Verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and I think Joseph was a, was a, what had to have been a wonderful man. Uh, I don't know much about him, but he just, he just understood God was doing something great. And he worked with God and he worked with his uh, wife-to-be and so forth and all of this. Now, the birth of Jesus was on this wise. I mean, let me get on, down to verse uh, 19. Then Joseph, her husband being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was mine to put her away. That means to divorce her, but to do it very privately and secretly and not make a big deal out of it. Verse 20. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David. Notice Joseph was a direct descendant of David. So was Mary. Remember, the Bible says that Jesus Christ would be the heir to his father's throne, speaking of, Abraham, of David. And he told David, David, there was going to be one that will come after you, and he will be the one who will receive the throne, and it will be his throne forever. It will be your, your direct descendant. And it would be the man factor involved here. So let me move on here. Uh, the angel said to him, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Again, the Holy Ghost being the conceiver. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And the word Jesus means Savior, means Savior. Praise the Lord. It means Jehovah hath become salvation or Jehovah is Savior, or the I Am of the Old Testament, the Yahweh, whatever you want to call him. I mean, it, it, different languages brings it different names and so forth. Men's put in vowels to make it a name. Actually, it's a tetragamation, J-H-V-H. You can't even pronounce J-H-V-H, but you can put J-E-H-O-V-A-H, make a name out of it. That was done in the 13th century. All right, everybody grab that. We're going to have a test on that. And don't forget it. But what I am trying to say here is that these names of God, praise the Lord, that was, that was given here, means that Jesus, or Jehovah, hath become salvation, or he is salvation, or he is Savior. Praise the Lord. Jesus is our Savior. 
So the name Jesus is Savior. This is why when we get in the book of Revelation that the name Jesus is mentioned so very little after you get past the first three chapters of the book of Revelation because you're dealing with the judgments of God. Remember we talked about how that Revelation deals with all the judgments of God coming. And it doesn't mention Jesus. It talks about the lamb slain <clears throat> he was, and so forth. It talks about him as the word. But it doesn't talk too much about, it doesn't mention the name Jesus because Jesus means Savior. And in judgment, Jesus is not a Savior. He is a judge. Praise the Lord. And that's brought out in the gospel books as well. I won't go into that here today. But anyhow, at this point, he had come to save his people from their sins. Verse 22. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by the, uh, by the Lord, by the prophet saying. Now look, and we're quoting here actually from the book of Isaiah again, chapter 7, where he says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. This is 7.14 of Isaiah that's being quoted. Uh, verse 23, Behold, a, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And that's, of course, I mentioned that to you earlier. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bid him. He took unto him his wife and knew her not. Now, I think we all know what that means. Knew her not till, everybody say till, or until she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Okay, now this is the story of the conception of Christ and, of course, Jesus, Jesus being born and so forth. Now, uh, let me just say one thing here. I think it's the Catholic Church that says that Mary was always a virgin and she, she remained a virgin all of her life. That's not true. I can show you in scriptures over in both Luke and in Mark where Jesus had brothers and sisters. He had, uh, he had three brothers and he had at least two sisters because it says sisters. It doesn't give their name. It just says sisters. They're plural. So there's brothers and sisters involved. Jesus was the son of Mary, the first son of Mary, and of course not Joseph because Joseph was only his earthly father. You know that. But after that, Joseph and Mary had a family. And the oldest son of those, uh, besides Jesus, the oldest of those sons was named James. That was James, Josie, and Jude, or Judah, the name Judah. <clears throat> Judah is sort of a bad word to us because Judas is carrot. But it was a very common word back, back then and a very honorable name. And uh, his name was Judah. Uh, but Judah, Joseph, and, uh, and James was brothers of Jesus. And they were sons of Mary and Joseph. And the oldest one, who was James, was the pastor of the church and one of the apostles. And so was Jude. They, they were apostles. And they were, he was the pastor, James was, of the church in Jerusalem when it was first established. And a very honorable man, highly respected, and pastored that church for years in that early times. And that church in Jerusalem in the beginning, when it was first, Holy Ghost first poured out, that church was like uh, five, six, seven, eight thousand people strong. It was a very large church, many people that was in it. And uh, many times, uh, James and Peter and uh, John, uh, the apostle, they would be like the, the center of it. They would be the hub. This is not James, the brother of John, but James, the brother, the earthly brother of Jesus. I'm only pointing all that out to let you know. Jesus, praise the Lord, was, the, uh, uh, was, was conceived of the Holy Ghost and became the Son of God. And that, he all, that 
Mary and Joseph went on, they had other children, the other family. Let me move on here because I've only got about five minutes left. I want to get this covered here if I can. So Jesus Christ then, therefore, was the Son of God. Everybody understand that? Because he was, Mary was conceived as the Son of God. So he was a man. Jesus was not part man. That's a demigod. He was all man. He's all man. As a man, he was tempted. He was hungry. Everybody see that where my pen is? I'm down here at the bottom. I'm pushing that up just a little. Down here at the bottom. As a man, he was tempted. You know, that's well, like when he was in the, when he was praying in 40 days, 40 nights, so forth. He was hungry. He said, you know, time I'm hungry. He, he died on Calvary as the man. The man died. It wasn't God that died. It was the man Christ Jesus that died. Uh, he prayed. He was thirsty. He wept. All of these things are characteristics of the man. Look at Galatians 4.4 4 for just a moment here. <clears throat> this is, uh, if I can uh, find that verse of scripture here right quick. Bear with me here. Galatians 4.4. 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. Sending forth, incidentally, means he sent him out into the world, not sending him forth down from heaven. <clears throat> Otherwise, the scripture wouldn't make sense here. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, or made of a woman, made under the law. So when God sent forth his son, he sent him out into the world. That means sent him forth out into the world. Jesus said one place, just as my father has sent me, so I send you. That sends him out into the ministry or out into the work of God. <clears throat> and uh, so here it says here, send his son made of a woman, not made of a woman up there and sent down from up there, but made, you know, on this earth. So Jesus Christ, therefore, was the son of God and he was all man and so forth. Now, uh, but he was also all God. And this is the part that I want to bring out to you. I'm going to start up here. All of God dwells in Jesus Christ. This is the interesting part about it, is that not only was Jesus the Son of God, he was God manifest in flesh. Now I'm going to go to have you go to 2 Corinthians 5.19 with us. 5.19, we are right on course. And uh, look at 5.19 of, uh, of, the, uh, of the book of 2 Corinthians 5.19. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself not imputing their trespasses unto them and have committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Uh, another verse of scripture that we'll read to you here is the one that's found in 1 Timothy. I think that's the one, the next one here. Timothy 3.16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Manifest means made known. <clears throat> God made himself known uh, in the flesh, that is in the in Jesus Christ, and God was uh, manifested by justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, and believed on the glory, and received up in the, believed on the world, and received up in the glory. And then, in conjunction with that, Colossians is another verse. I think we mentioned these scriptures to you last week. Colossians two nine. If you look at this one, for in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead. Everybody see that? For in Christ, this is speaking of Jesus Christ, in, in Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In verse 10, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principalities. If you got Jesus, you got it all. You've got it all, praise God. And that's our right 
to God is through Jesus Christ. We have no right to God except through Jesus Christ. That's right. And the Bible, I can give you a lot of scriptures on that one too. And then, of course, Isaiah 9, 6, we've already read that, you know, unto us a child is born, a son is given, and so forth. And the government should be upon his shoulder, and so forth. Praise God. So what I'm just showing you here are all these scriptures here. And then finally, uh, he was God and manifest in flesh. I want you to go to John 14, 10. And I'm going to sort of wrap it up here with this. John 14, 10. And... Uh, Look at this. I'm going to back up here and read. Um, look at verse 6. Everybody with me? Let's go to verse 6 up here. All right. Thank you. Look at verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You can't be saved any other way but through Jesus Christ. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth, from now on, you know him and have seen him. Now, Jesus was talking to his disciples here, not to the Pharisees and Sadducees. And he said, from henceforth, you've known him and seen him. Wow, seen him, bang. Seen the Father? You know, I mean, God is a spirit, but, you know, so forth. And Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father and is satisfied. That Jesus said to him, have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. What does it mean, Brother Myers, if I'm in the Father and the Father in me? And I've used this example many times, and for you that never have heard it, this is for you. <laughs> but if there was only one light bulb in, the, in, this, in this room, and that light, that bulb gave light to the room, praise the Lord, we would say that the light's in the bulb, but because the room is full of light, the bulb is in the light. So God is a spirit, which is everywhere, is in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is in the spirit. It's, all, it's around him, it's everywhere, okay? So uh, just as I'm in the Father, the Father in me, so am I in you and you in me. So he goes on to say finally in verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father, the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. If you can't believe me, 